It's here. Peloton's best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton tread. Choose from accessories like a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, yoga blocks, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. Hurry, Peloton's best offer of the season is here, but not for long. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Limited time offer cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Welcome. This is Exchange Trade Fridays from ETF.com, a weekly wrap-up of uh, business and ETF news. I'm Dan Micah. I am a reporter from ETF.com. And with me are my colleagues, Samit Roy. Hey, y'all. And Heather Bell. So uh, we are, so uh, first of all, happy April Fool's Day. We uh, will not have any uh, goofs or gaffes or jokes for you today. Uh, but yeah, we are going to just talk about the first quarter and uh, just what a wild, wild ride it has been. Um, Samit, let's start with you. Uh, what's outperforming? What's underperforming? Uh, what are the, the big trends that you've seen this quarter? Yeah, Dan. So overall, Q1 wasn't a great quarter for investors. But in some ways, if you think about it, it did feel like things turned out a little bit better than a lot of people had feared, considering everything that's going on. If you look at the numbers, SPY uh, ended March down 4.6% year to date. That's not great, of course, but that decline is essentially from what were all-time highs at the end of 2021. And given all the negatives we've had to deal with, from interest rates to inflation to geopolitics, um, down 4.6% is actually pretty dang good, I would say. Um, And it's also better than what other asset classes like bonds gave you. If you look at AGG, uh, the Barclays Aggregate Bond uh, ETF, total return for that ETF was 5.9%, negative 5.9%, I'm sorry. And then TLT, that's another big bond ETF, 20-plus year treasury bond ETF, down 10.6%. And then even SHY, which holds one to three-year treasuries, uh, which aren't very interest rate sensitive, but it was still down 2.5%. So stocks, when you look at the broad market ETFs, uh, they held up better than fixed income. But it wasn't all rosy across the board for stocks. A lot of those high-growth high valuation areas in the market were absolutely brutalized. We did see a big rebound in the second half of March, but that still left them with huge losses for Q1. If I'm not mistaken, ARKK, the ARK Innovation ETF, was actually the second worst performing uh, ETF, non-leveraged, non-inverse ETF of the quarter. It was down 30%. Only the Advisor Shares Psychedelics ETF, PSIL, did worse. That was down 31%. Of course, I'm not including Russia ETFs like RSX, um, ERUS. Those were nearly wiped out um, before trading was halted, you know, a few weeks ago. So overall, very, very um, mixed performance outside of those broad market ETFs like SPY. So if you go down the list, some other notable losers that we saw were um, the iShares U.S. Home Construction ETF, ITB, that was down 28%. The DSPAC ETF, that was down 27%. Amplify Online Retail ETF, iBuy, that was down 25%. The China Technology ETF, CQQQ, down 24%. Uh, the Renaissance IPO ETF, down 24%. 
And then finally, um, the SPDR, S&P Biotech ETF down 20%. So if you look at those areas, you know, those are disruptive tech, SPACs, e-commerce, China Internet, IPOs. If you remember, those were all super hot areas of the market during the second half of 2020 and 2021. Uh, but for much of last year and now for the first quarter of this year, they've gone from super hot to basically ice cold. Now, again, all of these rebounded uh, well off their lows by the end of the quarter. But as you can see, they're still down significantly from where they started the year, let alone where they were at those highs in 2021. So maybe there's some opportunities there in the rubble. Um, you know, everyone has to make that decision for themselves. But overall, I'd characterize Q1 as down, but better than feared for broad market stock ETFs bad all around for fixed income ETFs, and then horrible for high growth stock ETFs, but some light at the end of the tunnel towards the back half of the quarter. Now, I just want to also talk about how there were some positives in Q1, but to see green, you have to move to the value and commodity area of the market. All of the top performing ETFs of the quarter were commodity ETFs, energy, metals, agriculture, you name it. UNG, the Nat Gas ETF, up 58%. Uh, the VanEck Oil Services ETF, OIH, up 53%. Nickel ETF, JJN, up 57%. Wheat ETF, up 33%. Um, but another interesting one, EWZ, that's the ETF for Brazil, a big commodity producer, that was up 35%. And Latin America uh, in general did great, ECA, GPU, the Chile and Peru ETFs, they're up more than 25%. So those are pretty impressive numbers in the face of uh, the broader emerging market uh, segment, Russia, China. They did very poorly. Uh, so, so to see Latin America do pretty well, um, I think that's, that's a standout. So, Dan, Heather, what do you think? Anything stand out to you in terms of ETF performance? And then I know, uh, Heather, you want to get into launches. And Dan, you want to talk about flows, which uh, I'm excited to hear about. Um, Samit, actually, I was wondering um, how much of, you know, these performance uh, figures are driven by disruptions in the uh, supply chain. I, I feel like uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict has just worsened what had already been a long-term problem during the pandemic. And I was really curious about your thoughts on that. Well, totally. The commodity uh, spike we saw in the last couple of months was due to that war. Um, and then the supply chain issues, those have been plaguing uh, the markets for a long time now. Um, so those have kind of uh, impacted everything as well. Um, so they're definitely playing a part. But I think we're, we've heard that there's an easing of the supply chain issues, especially when you look at critical areas like semiconductors and things like that. Um, but when it comes to raw materials like commodities, I think it's going to be um, some time before we see that alleviated just because of the war going on right now. Yeah. yeah, I think on, on the commodity side as well, you have to consider not just the the places where um, where you're making some of these um, these commodities. For example, the the wheat uh, the Tucker and wheat uh, fund uh, WEAT uh, absolutely spiked for a couple of days because uh, Ukraine and Russia combined uh, amount to about a third of the world's uh, um, wheat exports. Um, but we are seeing you know anecdotal reports about you know um, 
you know, shippers having uh, to spend less time outside of port waiting for their um, for their goods to be unloaded. B drive, which is uh, which follow, which is an ETF that follows um, uh, uh, dry shipping futures contracts. Uh, it's down 19 percent year to date. Um, and it's moved around. I mean, it certainly spiked uh, pretty high in the, the beginning days of the war, uh, but it started to moderate again. So at, at least on that end, in in you know shipping commodities, um, there's some less pressure there, which I think uh, bodes well. Uh, you know, especially since the Black Sea is kind of treacherous waters right now, since you're you're going near a war zone. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Heather, uh, how about let's let's talk about uh, openings and closings. Uh, we're, we're we're still seeing quite a few launches happening uh, through the first quarter, even though there's so much. You know, the the the, the economic um, um, optimism that March 2020, yeah, at least the first half of 2021, uh, is not here anymore. Yeah, it's like, honestly, in the first quarter, launches have been going gangbusters. Um, We've had 115 launches in the first quarter. That's 26 more that were in the first quarter than there were in the six in the first quarter of 2021. So and 2021 was a record breaking year. However, its quarter, its first quarter wasn't that um like intense for launches and they kind of accelerated throughout the year so 2022 is actually going to have to see an acceleration of launches if it's going to keep up with um 2021's total um the interesting part of the launches this year is that only 44 of them were passively managed everything else is active um And that's kind of been the trend where active outstrips passive um, in terms of launches. And that's largely because the low-hanging fruit um, in passive management is gone, even though that's where the lion's share of the assets still go into the plain vanilla funds. Um, But investors are still seeing opportunity in – I mean, I'm sorry, issuers are still seeing opportunity in active management. Um, And the passive funds that we're seeing – launch are mostly um, thematic or smart beta in nature. Um, the other part of this is that uh, there's been 32 closures, uh, but or I'm sorry, there will be 32 closures by early May this year. Um, and compared to that time period um, in 2021, where there were only 19, um, that's an acceleration in closures too. Um, although last year was pretty thin for fund shutdowns. So it's interesting to keep track of these numbers, but they tend to be very choppy. So like um, like I said, we had a strong trend of launches in the first quarter. We only had one week where one fund launched. Um, that was the residential real estate ETF that was actively managed or that is actively managed um, trading under the ticker HAUS. Um, And that was the week after Russia invaded Ukraine. So that was kind of a blip because the launches, um, at least in terms of the ETF industry, because launches picked right up um, the next week. So, Heather, are you seeing any interesting launches this year? Any ETFs that stand out? You mentioned thematic and active are big this year. Have there been any real success stories so far? 
Um, I haven't seen anything with runaway assets, um, but uh, I was kind of curious and I would like to take a closer look at the Columbia Seligman uh, ETF. That's an actively managed thematic ETF looking at um, semiconductors. That seemed kind of intriguing to me because, as you had mentioned, the um, supply chain issue with semiconductors has um, – kind of lightened up a little bit. So that could be an interesting fund to see where it goes. Um, will it have the um, runaway performance that you might see in a scarcity situation if the uh, supply chains were still um, backed up? I don't know. But um, I think an active take on the semiconductor space could be really interesting. Um, and that's what's been catching my eye right now. Um so, yeah, that's pretty much where it is. I was actually um, really interested in the Transamerica closures. Um, they're closing their five Delta shares ETFs, I think, in April. Um, that's I believe there are five funds in that family. And they had um, when the launch was announced, they had like 600 million in assets under management. And I thought it was kind of wild to close an ETF family where there were like um, funds within that family that have more than had more than there was one fund i'm sorry in that family that had more than 300 million but uh you know if they decided to get out of the etf space i don't think anything would have held them into it yeah yeah i i found the the grayscale feature finance etf gfof kind of interesting i know grayscale has been wanting to convert their bitcoin and ether etf i'm sorry their bitcoin and ether over the counter uh, funds into ETFs, and the SEC hasn't allowed that. Um, but to see them kind of step into the ETF space um, in a different direction is kind of interesting. This uh, ETF already has $17 million in assets, which is not bad um, in just a couple months. And Grayscale is obviously a big name um, in DeFi and in crypto and things like that. So it's going to see, it's going to be interesting to see them kind of target traditional stocks. Um, and get into that space. Looking at the ETF, the top holdings are um, Square, Coinbase, Robinhood, PayPal, things like that. Um, so I'm definitely going to be keeping a close eye on this one. GFOF is the ticker. Yeah, that is an interesting fund for sure. Um, the other thing that caught my eye was Dan's story that he wrote um, and we posted today um, about how ARKK, uh, the fund from the flagship fund from ARK Investments, was downgraded to the lowest rating by Morningstar. Um, and it sounds like it was largely due to concerns about risk management uh, with regard to the portfolio. Um, so I thought that was uh, pretty interesting considering how big that fund is. And it's still taking in assets. So what happened with that, Dan? Did you talk to Morningstar about that downgrade? I, I did. So this now came out uh, earlier this week. Uh, so Morningstar only covers ARKK. They don't cover anyone else in the uh, in the ARK Invest uh, universe. But uh, Morningstar went from, uh, on their five-tier scale, um, they they had neutral, which is the the, the second-worst position that they would give it to, to, to negative, saying that they expect... ARKK to uh, underperform relative to its peers over the long term. And if you look at least just um, it, just year to day, I mean, ARKK is down almost 30 percent. Um, 
you know, versus, you know, you can take a look at QQQ, which, um, you know, was in a, in a bit of a correction, but has rallied back. And now I think as of the end of yesterday is, you know, just right above correction levels. But ARKK uh, got downgraded uh, in part because Morningstar saw that there was um, a big kind of contraction in the amount of stocks that they actually had. They went from about 60 to 35 um, over the course of a, of a couple months. But also because Kathy Wood is the sole manager of that fund, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of succession planning. But um, and also just uh, the the argument that um, you know you're really relying just on, on on Kathy's instincts to to run the fund and to eventually hope that these uh, these stocks will will pan out. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. One from a risk management perspective for investors, wondering, you know, is this truly um, a good idea to hold into to make a big investment into and, and to really trust Kathy Wood, who is, you know, obviously very charismatic and has sold um, and has really like sold her idea very effectively, um, and has managed to keep quite a bit of assets and quite a bit of sticky assets despite a, a, a really poor 2021 and a continuing to be a, a setting up to be a really difficult 2022 in the face of rising interest rates. But also, I guess the question of, you know, how much do you buy the person behind the fund instead of just the fund itself? Um, you know, when you have someone as 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 you know outspoken and and can command so much attention as Kathy Wood does, both in the traditional press press and on social media, um, I think that begs a, a good question as to you know where ARKK and and its sister funds are going under this strategy of fully um, a, a fully transparent, uh, heavily disruptive tech that that Ark has plant its flag on um but they are still bringing the money they i think i have about 670 million or so in new assets year date uh despite the, the very poor performance so it might be dip buyers um or it might just be you know very um very long-term believers in in the arc uh, thesis i think that just speaks to kind of the larger issue with active management, um, especially when it's just um, when it's the stock picking type of um, active management rather than like a quantitative strategy that is solely driven by that quantitative methodology. Um, it, it does depend a lot on the individual um, manager and you know, maybe they slip up and make some miscalculations or maybe they move on to another um, position and you get a new manager who maybe doesn't, you know, have the same outlook on how to manage it. And I think that's just one of the things you uh, kind of take on when you invest in that type of active fund. Yeah, it's super interesting, actually. The active manager is picking stocks, but you as an investor are picking the active manager. <laughs> so you're both kind of taking an active decision in that sense. And, um, you know, it, it really, you know, comes down to they're researching the stocks. They think they know which stocks are going to outperform and you're kind of researching the managers and you think, you know, which uh, active fund is going to outperform. So you're both picking things in a sense. 
Right. Um, so yeah, and, and now let's we're, we'll let's turn to uh, to flows right now. Um, about hundred, a little over one hundred eighty-one billion uh, for the quarter, which is well off the mark. Um, but but again, we've just had so many macroeconomic events that have made it um, that, that have really calmed down the the animal spirits that really marked uh last year where where the industry was thinking that you know a trillion a one trillion dollar inflow net inflow year was possible uh we they got close but didn't quite make the mark um but i think the most interesting thing here is that we continue to see just the utter dominance of of um vanguard and the other dominance of of iShares um into the core products and i think this is where uh the uh, where, where the the story is going to continue to just kind of be the same is that um you know combined vanguard and iShares is um S&P 500 super cheap ETFs have brought in uh combined almost 36 uh, billion and have, have combined for the the vast amount of of inflows compared to spy which has lost more than 19 billion so i think the play will continue to be for a while is that long-term investors are going to continue to put their money into work in the market despite every despite every single flag that could possibly be raising right now to say you know being in large caps is not the best idea right now whether it's war whether it's the fed going from you know trying to engineer a soft landing to you know trying to be as sharp as possible in, in popping the in, in dragging down inflation and trying to get that down to a more manageable level to um to you know just just money coming off the sidelines and you know spy in particular as a, as a trading tool signaling that a lot of people are not going to be trying to you know make those those quick moves and and just trying to profit off of the idea that you know, the S&P 500 is going to put out a, a decent return every single year like it has for the past decade or so. It's, it certainly seems like, um, you know, being in that market for the short for a short time horizon is no longer the play. But there's still a lot of confidence from investors in, in that, you know, if you're trying to make an ETF into your retirement fund, that's one way to do it. Yeah, so much confidence from investors, Dan. And I talked about the resiliency of the SPY's performance, right? The S&P 500 are pretty resilient this year. But if you think about it, ETF investors have been very resilient too. I mean, $180 billion of inflows in Q1. Um, and they might be connected, right? All of this money going into ETFs is probably lending support to the overall stock market, given how big um, ETFs have become. Now, you know, obviously, with the usual caveats, caveats that things might change, you might see outflows next month, inflows, we don't know. But if you extrapolate the $180 billion we saw in Q1, we're headed towards $720 billion of inflows for 2022 as a whole, which would be shocking, I think, to anyone if you told them that, because that would be the second highest annual inflow total ever just behind last year's, um, which was, I think, over $900 billion. Um, so I think we can speculate about what's going on. I think, Dan, you made some good points. People are going to put money in the market for retirement, things like that, no matter what's going on. Um, but just with regard to what specifically is happening now, we obviously see this economy is very, very strong. Today we got the unemployment report, 3.6%. What is it? Unemployment, very low. 
wages are rising super fast, savings are very plentiful, and people have to put their money somewhere. So I think stocks are looking relatively attractive, especially when inflation is running five, six, seven percent. Stocks might be the place uh, to be as long as we don't see a sharp economic slowdown or a recession. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Any guesses are on where inflows are going to end up by the end of the year? Would you take the over or under on seven hundred billion? I think seven hundred billion is perfectly reasonable. Um, but I mean, do we have we had any updates on what the odds of a recession are? Because we have that one um, inversion already, and I guess we're seeing if there's going to be a second one. I mean, how close are we to that at this point? I mean, the yield curve inverted for literally a couple of seconds earlier this week. The five thirty for 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 honest for honestly, like I don't think anyone was able to just screenshot it in time to, <laughs> to just that this to just show like a negative number on on the curve. So, I I, I mean, I, I think at this point, trying to to guess where where the economy is going in the next couple of months with so many factors at play. Um, I, I think that's a that's a fool's errand right now. Or you have to be paid a, a whole lot of money to you know be willing to put your name on a guess of that size. Um, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna take a, a, a slight under actually on on flows being under uh, on, on on the 700 billion for flows number. Um, I, I think there's just too much there's too much out there, and, and there's uh, there's enough things that can go south quickly enough, which makes me think, yeah, there could be a pullback, even though we have seen this resilience and we have seen the, um, you know, we, we have seen the, the consistent inflows from, um, from, from IVV and VOO and the, the core funds. I think there's just going to be, you know, especially for like thematics and for very targeted, um, very, very targeted strategies. I, I think that there's just enough out there that, can really spook the can really spook investors from pulling their money out and and being um, and having less exposure out the, out there in in general. Um, so th- so that's my spicy take for heading into the weekend. I think that's pretty logical. There is a lot that could go wrong, um, especially with the Russia Ukraine situation. So we'll have to just wait and see on that. I think. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Exchange Traded Fridays here uh, on ETF.com's Twitter space. If you've missed any part of the conversation, you can listen back uh, on the tw- on a replay on Twitter. And we will also have a replay on our, pod- on our podcast feed. Just go and look for Exchange Trade Fridays wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, for myself, Dan Micah, and for my Colleagues Samit Roy and Heather Bell, thank you very much and have a great weekend. We will talk to you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 